we cry out, Jesus. In our desperation, in our longing, we lift our eyes to the heavens. The Savior that was promised reached down to us, becoming flesh. At his entrance, they laid palms at his feet, as today, in his presence, we fall to our knees. We cry out to him, hanging on the cross, the righteous one whose blood broke the curse. With an act of love that saved our souls, overflowing redemption making us whole. No nail to the bones could hold him. No crown of thorns could shame him, because he is the one. No tomb could contain him. Death could not stop him. He conquered the grave and rose from death victorious. We cry out, Jesus, 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 you are the resurrection and the life. In you, all things come alive. We will forever declare the mighty power of your name. We cry out with everything we have. We need you, Savior, and nothing else, because in you, we are saved by grace. Your glory will shine upon the world, and every tongue will cry out, Jesus is the Lord. All right, church, so the question I wanna ask you today is, are you a victim or are you a victor? Victim or a victor, you choose, it's up to you because of what God has done and we will see that here in a second. One of the words that I didn't really know a whole lot about until I was in college was a word uh, called chic. How many know uh, chic, you guys are like, oh that's pretty chic, right? It's an adjective, it's, it's conforming to the current fashion, adopting or setting trends and styles, fashionable. Chic means fashionable. Well. When I was in college, I, you know, I grew up in Southern Michigan. I was a you know, country boy, not really, you know, it was a small town in America. I, I was not, I would say, fashionable per se. And then I met my wife-to-be, Susan, okay? She's beautiful. She knows fashion very well. And she's very chic, if, if you will. She's a trendsetter in a lot of ways, in my opinion. And she, uh, she's, she's very fashionable. Well, in, when I was in, uh, we just started dating. We'd only been dating for a week, or a few weeks. And, uh, and we were in college, and she said, she said to me, hey, Mike, why, I'm going to be in this thing called a pageant. Why don't you come and, you know, support, and, you know, I, I want you to be there. I said, I'd love to. And so, uh, you know, I'm thinking, I, I kind of know what pageants are, but like, you know, 4-H fair pageants, you know, things like that. Like, there's, you know, there's women or girls, like, you know, dressed up in gowns, and it's nice, but then there's also uh, elephant ears and corn on the cob and, you know, all the stuff that goes along with a great fair. And so I'm thinking that. Well, she was competing in the Miss Indiana uh, pageant. It was a preliminary. It was up in Huntington where we went to college called Miss Huntington. And so I, I get some of my college dorm, dorm friends to come together, and I said, hey, let's go support Susan. And so they were like, yeah, sweet. And so we, we got these white T-shirts, and I took out a black marker, and I, and I wrote on it. I was like, good luck, Susan. You know, I love you, right? And then I, I you know, the 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 fashion, or at least what I thought was fashion at the time, was uh, to also wear a beanie and then Birkenstock sandals. <laughs> Why are you saying no? I hear you. You know I can hear you, right? Okay, like this is like when you, when you say stuff like that, I, I can hear that. And then whole, jeans with holes in them, okay? And so I, I, we pull up at the auditorium at Huntington High School 
And I start walking in and I realize, oh no, like <laughs> these people take this really seriously. And they're like, they're in tuxes and evening gowns. And like, I was like, I guess like, guys, this is not the fair. This is, <laughs> this is not the fair. And I, I didn't know what to do. And so I, I went in and, you know, here I am, this, you know, the boyfriend of one of the girls competing. And Susan's like, oh, my gosh, like the judges are going to hold this against me and all this stuff, right? And, uh, and I learned really quickly that day that I was not chic, okay, <laughs> as, as the world likes to say. Uh, and so, but then, you know, since then, I'm like, okay, I got to be a little bit better at putting my best foot forward in new, in new circumstances. And so I've, I think I've gotten better with the help of my beautiful wife. She will not let me out of the house now sometimes if I have marker on my shirt. So I wanted to come preach in a marker shirt before. And then, like today, I was like, honey, should I take a marker and write on this? Like, she's like, no, don't do that. But chic means it's, it's fashionable. In our culture today, there's a chicness going on. It's not a good chicness. It's not... It's not, it's not something that we want to celebrate, but it's, it's called victim chic. Victim chic is taking over the American culture. And I believe America is suffering from this victim men mentality because we have forgotten the biblical foundations that this nation was built upon. You know, Pastor Nathan and I, we were out in Washington uh, last, uh, a couple weeks ago. And I'm telling you, in etched in stone all over that town, are biblical reminders of who we are as a people and as a nation. There are verses, you go to the top, the very top part, the, the, the highest point in Washington is the Washington Monument. And at the very tip of that monument, engraved in stone, is a Latin phrase that says, last Deo, and it means glory to God. We see scripture verses all over the Jefferson Memorial. We see them all over the, the Capitol building. We see uh, Moses holding the Ten Commandments etched in stone, looking down over the Supreme Court. We, were, we got the awesome privilege of going into the, the chambers, the House chambers, where we watched the State of the Union addresses. And, and all around the room are, are stone carvings of ancient and, and famous lawgivers, people like Aristotle and Socrates and Plato and people that knew that were philosophers of law and they understood societies. But they're all turned at a silhouette kind of, like a, uh, it's a profile picture. So they're, they're turned looking kind of not down on the room. And you're going all the way around, around the room. And then you get to one. And if I was in the speaker's podium, so the speaker's here and the speaker can look out, you would be the members of Congress sitting just like you are now. But looking straight back, making eye contact with the speaker of the house, there's one stone carving where the person is looking straight down on the speaker. And that was Moses. Moses, the original lawgiver from God to man through Moses, and now we have that carved in stone looking over the speaker saying, you better do what's just in God's eyes. Don't ever step outside of that. And our nation has stepped outside of that. We've forgotten the biblical foundations. And because of that, it's led to this victim mindset. And I really think it's specifically what we've forgotten as a nation is we've forgotten the resurrection. Because when you know the resurrection and you understand what that brings as far as power into your life, you will never another day in your life live in a victim mentality. I promise you, you can't. It's impossible for someone to understand the resurrection and to be a victim at the same time. You can't do it. Now, you can be victimized. Like, people can do mean things to you. Sure, that's always going to happen. Jesus said, in this world, you will have many troubles. But take heart, I've overcome the world. He's saying, you need to remember that you now soar like wings, with wings like eagles above all that the world is throwing at you because you're in me and I'm in you. 
This victim mentality, I would say, uh, it, it revolves around this main idea that nothing is ever my fault. Woe is me. It's all, my, it's all someone else's fault. The world's done this to me. It's not me. You know, I, I, I'm just an innocent bystander. But when you understand Good Friday, you, re, you recognize we're not innocent. When you understand Good Friday, you recognize that there was only one who was innocent, one who had not sinned, and he became sin for us. We are the lawbreakers. And Good Friday then leads to Resurrection Sunday, which Jesus said, now I've conquered the death in the, death in the grave, and you no longer have to walk in that depravity. But so many people love doing it anyway. They love walking in depravity. They love being victims. And victims tend to look at the outward circumstance, and then, and then they look inward. They say, okay, well, this has happened to me, and now I'm just going to go inside of my, of my heart, and I'm just going to look at and be, woe is me all the, all the time. I'm a victim. But victors move from inward and look outward. It's the same thing that Peter did in the, in the boat. If you're watching The Chosen, I just finished that uh, season three. And the last scene is Peter in the boat. The disciples are, there's a storm around, around them and Jesus is walking on the water. And all of a sudden they say, oh, there's a ghost. And they realize it's, it's the Lord. And Peter says, Lord, if it's you, call for me to come. And he steps out of the boat and he walks towards Jesus. And as he's looking outward, he's not looking inward. He's not looking down at the waves. He's looking out. To Jesus, he walks on water. Amazing. And he walks to Jesus, and then he starts to have that victim mentality take hold, and he starts to look inward. He starts to look around him. He starts to say, uh-oh, this is not going to go well for me. And what happens? He begins to sink. And Jesus steps down. He, Peter calls for him, and Jesus saves him. And Jesus says, Peter, you have so little faith. What Jesus was saying, he's like, Peter, you're a victor. Stop acting like a victim. Your faith has led you into victory. But Peter, in that moment, was powerless, and he needed, he needed Jesus to step in and save him. And victims, that's their whole mindset. It's a powerless mindset. And those who understand the resurrection never go a day in their life powerless. They walk through this life with great power. Maybe you're new here. Maybe you're a guest. Maybe you don't know this power that we talk about. We sang about it. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. We sing that because if we're reminding ourselves we get to walk as victors and not victims. And that's exactly how God wants it. You may say, well, Pastor Michael, you don't know my circumstances. You're right, I don't know your circumstances, but I know God. But God has made a way. So in John chapter 11, as we dive in today, we'll start in verse chapter one. Now a certain man was ill, and his name was Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair and whose brother, Lazarus, was ill. I want you to stop and look at something real just basic here. Lazarus was loved by Jesus, but Lazarus also became sick. The world's going to throw things at you. You will be victimized by the world. Sickness was never God's intent. Death was never God's intent. But that happens to us. Even those who Jesus loves, bad things happen to. That's going to happen. But how you respond to that is all up to you through the resurrection power. So the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Now I love this, this, uh, this part of the story here because Mary and Martha go to Jesus and they say, uh, they, don't, they don't say to Jesus, hey, we've done a lot of things for you throughout the, the last three years of your ministry. We've, we've had you at our house. We've, we've cooked you dinners. You know, I anointed you, I anointed you with oil like, and on and on and on. No, they don't do that. They petition the love of Jesus. When you go to the Father, 
When you go and you bring your, your request to the Lord, petition the love of God. It's not what you've done. There's nothing you can do that can earn favor with God. Grace is unmerited favor. And that's what this Sunday is all about. It's grace. Petition is love. Say, Lord, I know you love me. For your name's sake, for your mercy's sake. That's what David did all the time. Lord, for your name's sake, spare me, rescue me, save me from my enemies. He didn't say, Lord, because I'm an amazing soldier and I've done a lot of things for you, save me from my, for, uh, for my enemies. No, he said, for your sake, for your name's sake. And that's what Mary and Martha do in this moment. They petition the love of Jesus. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. Now, the Lord allows us to go through hardships at times so that he will be glorified. This is what's going on in this moment. So, and Jesus makes a prophetic word. He says, hey, this isn't gonna end in death. I'm sure the disciples all were like, okay, great, good. Lazarus is gonna be saved. God's gonna swoop in and he's gonna, he's gonna rescue Lazarus. Praise, praise you, Lord, praise you. Verse five, so although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. All right, Lord, let's go save him. Okay, we're staying here for a couple days. You, what? I don't understand. Why are you taking up action? If you said that he's not going to succumb to death, then we need to go because he's close to dying, Jesus. So let's go. Let, you, like, we got to move this along. And Jesus said, no, we're going to wait for a couple days. Then we jump down to verse 17. When Jesus then finally did go to Bethany, he was told when he arrived that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. What? How? Lord, you spoke a prophetic word that this was not going to end in death. And yet, Lazarus is in the grave for four days. But here's what I want you to remember. God is never late. Sometimes we're just a little early. Amen? You know, going back to the pageant world, uh, Susan and I, we had just started dating, and she did win that Miss Huntington pageant. <laughs> no thanks to me. And, uh, and she goes and she competes at the state level. Now she's competing to be Miss Indiana this first year of her, of, of her being in pageants. And she's doing a great job. It's a three-day competition. We get all the way to the third day. Intermission comes. My, my mom is there. My parents are there to support her as well. And, 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 and she's doing really well. And I'm getting nervous because we've only been dating for a few weeks at that point. We hadn't been dating very long. And I, I loved her. I, I was like, I knew this girl was the one, right? I was like, God, you've, you've blessed me so much with this girl. Like, she's super good looking. And uh, <laughs> she can cook really well. <laughs> I'm like, this is like, I hit the jackpot, right? Like, I mean, honestly. And she's, she's got a great personality too, okay? Like, so, but, you know, the <laughs> All the guys are laughing. She's not, I didn't say that last service because she was here last service. Okay? So you guys get the, the good stuff here today, all right, for this service. But, uh, but and so I'm, I'm kind of freaking out. My mom at her intermission comes up to me. And she says, Micah, how you doing? And I'm like, oh, I don't know, Mom. If she wins this, like, she's going to break up with me. Like, I mean... Because like she like all the athletes will like want to go out with her and like all the you know, movie stars and like the really rich doctors and stuff like that. I'm just this college kid that can play songs on my guitar and, and wakeboard. You know what I mean? Like that's all I can do. And my mom like looked at me the way a mother does when she's like, I don't want to have to tell you this, but like, and she she said, Well, Micah, the Lord told me that she's gonna be Miss Indiana. And I was like, my heart just sunk into my stomach. I was like, Well, it's all it's all over for me. All right, well. <laughs> 
And so I literally go out to the car. I, I, I call her from my car. I'm crying. It's like one of the only two times she's seen me cry in my life. The other time was when Matt's, our dog, died. And so uh, I just... <laughs> I just, I don't know. I just, you know, I, I have emotion, but I don't cry a ton. I get choked up. I mean, if you were here on Good Friday, I got choked up, okay? Like, but like she, like sobbing, like, you know, and so she, I call her and I'm, I'm sobbing. I'm, you know, ugly crying, right? And, uh, and I'm like, I love you. I just, I know you're going to win this. The Lord just gave me a prophetic word through my mom that you're going to win this. And so have a nice life. <laughs> and so, uh, and so I go back in, and like I, I sit down for the second half of the, that final night, and I'm like, here it comes. And they call the top ten, and sure enough, she's in the top ten. And then they call the top five, and she's in the top five. And I'm like, it's over. And so I, uh, they call the, they, then they start listing out in order of the top five. Fourth runner-up, Miss Susan Gilkey. And I was like, what? I look down at my mom. I'm like, you got it wrong. You're no prophet. <laughs> And, uh, and so I, I was like, I can't believe my mom never got things wrong. Like, I, like she, I know in her prophetic ability and her giftings for many years, she's, she always gets it right. She's always hearing from the Lord. And so afterwards, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm super excited, you know. <laughs> like, yes, she didn't win. Yes. And, uh, and my, my, mom, my mom afterwards like, comes up to me. I'm like, Mom, what happened? She's like, well, the Lord told me. I know the Lord told me, but I don't know. We'll just, you know, have to wait and see. And I'm like, and Susan and I had already talked about, she's not running again. She's like, this is a one time and done thing. So sure enough, the next year comes around and she doesn't run again. And then it was our senior year. You know, we'd been dating for a couple years at this point. We knew marriage was in the future for both of us. We had a very strong relationship. And I'm on a ski trip with my buddies and I get a call from Susan and she had just, she was going to get a gown. She just registered to be in this last minute pageant that was a prelim for Miss Indiana. And I was super pumped. I was like, oh, you're going to do great. Sorry, I can't be there for this, but go get them. And she comes, sure enough, she comes and she wins the prelim. And then she goes down to Miss Indiana. Totally different experience for me because I was like, oh, like our relationship is solid. Yeah, come, you know, who's Dr. McCutie off of uh, that show, uh, Grey's Anatomy? Like, I was like, you don't even stand a chance with me, buddy, all right? You can, <laughs> you can try to mack on her, but like she ain't coming. She's not, she's not getting rid of this, you know? <laughs> Okay, so maybe I went the other, far, the other side a little too far there, a little too cocky. But, but I, we were a lot more confident in our relationship. And, and she gets through the, the last night of the competition. She won every single prelim leading up to that. Everyone knew at that point that she was going to win. And sure enough, she did. It was just who's going to take second. And it was, it was super cool. It was an amazing story of God's prophetic word. I had processed it through my own lens, though. When my mom told me that, I was like, oh, great. Here's how it's going to go, A, B, C, and D. And there we go. That's how it's going to happen. And the Lord's like, Micah, I told you she was going to be Miss Indiana, but I didn't tell you when. And here's another example of that. Jesus said, death is not going to get the last word here, but I didn't tell you how. So stop seeing it in your own lens. But they, they process everything through their own lens. Jumping down to verse 32, when Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. If only you had. How many times do we do that with God? God, if only you had done this, then this wouldn't have happened. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. I love this. A deep anger, a righteous anger. Few weeks from this story is when Jesus is going to be led like a lamb to the slaughter. 
or he's going to be crucified. He's going to hang on that tree. And if you, if you watch The Passion on Friday night, Jesus had an, intent, an, an intense passion when he was clinging onto that cross after he had been scourged almost to death, after the Romans had ripped the flesh off of his body. And he's, he's, the cross is being laid down and he crawls to it. Like he's, like he's a man on a mission. I believe God, Jesus in that moment, the anger that he felt here was what compelled him to that cross. And it wasn't anger in an unrighteous sense. It was anger that you and me have to go through what we're going through. He never wanted sin to enter this world. He never wanted death to be a thing. If you've ever lost a loved one and death has hit you like a gut punch, do you know why it's a gut punch? Because it's unnatural. God never wanted you to go through death. Your bodies were not designed to go through death. It is because of sin and man's disobedience that death came into this world. It's not because of God. And it ticks him off. And he sees this in in an anger welled up within him. Like, I hate the sin that causes this destruction on the people that I love. I hate it. And I'm going to deal with it once and for all. He says, where have you put him? And they told him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, then Jesus wept. Some translations say Jesus wept. Now, okay, we tried this first service, Noah. Okay, we're going to do this again. If you're trying to memorize scriptures, start here, okay? John eleven thirty five. Very easy, okay? So, so Noah, tell me, what does John eleven thirty five say? Okay, you got it. <laughs> we practiced. Oh, my goodness. Jesus wept, Noah. Jesus wept. There you go. That's one. Okay. Okay, third service. We got it, third service. All right. One of the easiest passages of Scripture to memorize, Jesus wept, okay, the shortest verse in Scripture. But I want you to know this, that Jesus wasn't weeping because of Lazarus' death. He knew that Lazarus was going to be, was going to be dealt with here in a second. Death was going to be dealt with here in a second. And we're going to see the powerful moment of that story. But he was weeping because he empathized with those he loved. He knows what you go through. Hebrews says this, it says, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weakness, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Jesus gets you. He knows what you're going through. He knows everything that you're suffering. He knows the pain you're feeling, and it ticks him off. That's why he went to that cross. That's why we celebrate this resurrection, because of what that means for you and for me. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. Jesus loves these people. But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? He's people are saying, if he loved him this much, we know this Jesus has been doing all these miracles. Why didn't he just come early? And stop him from dying. Well, too bad, Jesus. He's dead. Surely you can't, you can't do anything now. It's almost like a child who tells their parents, do this, and if you don't do this, you don't love me. I have a six-year-old. If I tell him to go to bed at 8.30, he's like, you don't love me. <laughs> I'm like, yes, I do. And if you say that again, I'm going to spank you. He's like, because you don't love me. I'm like, no, because I love you. Like, I love you very much. We discipline our children. We keep things from our children. We walk them through things that they don't necessarily know and understand. And I'm sure it's only going to get easier as he becomes a teenager, amen? (laughs) Why are you laughing? Please don't do this. I was told it gets easier, okay? Yeah. (laughs) All right. 
Okay, moving on. All right. Verse 38, Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a big stone rolled across it. And he said, roll the stone aside. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested. Don't we do that? Don't you, we do that a lot with the Lord. We protest. The Lord wants to come in and do something on our behalf. I'm like, whoa, Lord, don't do it that way. That's not exactly how I thought it would go down. And Jesus responded, didn't I tell you, Martha, that you would see God's glory if you just believed? Just believe. Trust me. Trust me. Now, one of the things that's interesting in that time period was there was a superstition that after the third day of death, nobody, like you were really dead at that point. There was this idea that the spirit would hover over a dead body for about three days. But then on day four, uh, the body begins decomposing. At that point, you really dead. You ain't coming back. I was like, he gone, okay? Not coming back. D-E-A-D, dead, okay? So there's, there's this idea that the superstition, now it's a, it's a bogus superstition. It's not really the case, but the culture saw it as day four. Yeah, it's over, move on. He's not coming back. So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven. He said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they would believe in you. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out and his hands and feet bound in grave cloth, his face covered head to toe. Jesus told them, unwrap this man and let him go. That is the power of our God. All of culture thought he was not, he was dead. And Jesus said, nope, he ain't dead because I'm involved. And I, I believe the, the three reasons Jesus had to say it out loud was this. One, Jesus said, he says it out loud because he's about ready to do a mighty act. And mighty acts deserve mighty words. When you stand up in the power of Jesus Christ and you're about ready to do a mighty act, use mighty words. God's children speak boldly. They speak powerfully. Wizards and mediums in those days would whisper and they would mutter their incantations and their spells. But Jesus wanted to counter the culture. He wanted to say, You're going to hear me really clearly what I'm saying and how I'm saying it because I have all of the authority here. And ultimately, he wanted everyone to hear what he said so that they would believe that the Father sent him. I think there's another reason that, I think there's a reason that Jesus actually used the name Lazarus to come out of the grave. He said, Lazarus, come out. What would have happened if Jesus just walked up to the grave and said, come out. Boy, there'd be like Aunt Frida would be coming out and Uncle Jim would be coming out. Whoa, 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 not you guys. I believed he, he listed Lazarus by name because he has that much authority that he would have called out all of Hades coming, coming back to life if he, if he didn't list Lazarus by name. That's the power of our God. Lazarus, come on, he had to limit his response. And I love that about the story that I never really thought about as, until I was preparing for the story and, it, and it just, it hit me. I was like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. This story is, is a beautiful story because Lazarus was a victim to the world. He wasn't a victor. He was a victim to the world until Jesus stepped in. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're here saying, Pastor Micah, I'm a victim. I, I've been beat down. I've been tread upon. The devil has gotten me where he wants me. And if that's you today, Praise God because you're in the right place because our God is a God of victory and he's stepping in in your life right now if you will let him do it and he will lead you from victimhood to victory. 
Verse 45, as we wrap up here, many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. This is astonishing verse to me. Many of the people. Not all the people? Like, are you, like, not all the people? How do you see a dead man come out of the grave and not believe? There were people that didn't believe. You may be sitting here today saying, well, Pastor Mike, if I could just knew that God was real, if you would just show me a sign or a wonder or some miracle, then I would believe. Not necessarily. There were people who saw Jesus call a dead man out from the grave and they still didn't believe. You have to make that step of faith. Say, you know what? I'm by faith, I'm going to believe. I don't need something to happen for me to believe. I'm going to believe in Jesus as the Lord of lords and King of kings. But some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the leading priests and the Pharisees called the high council together. What are we going to do, they asked each other. This man certainly performs many miraculous signs. If we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will believe in him. Then the Roman army will come and destroy our temple and our nation. They were threatened by Jesus because they believed what they had was theirs, not God's. No, it's not your temple, and it's not your nation. It's God's. How dare you step in front of God and say something like this? Then Caiaphas, who was the high priest at the time, said, you don't know what you're talking about. Now remember, Caiaphas is the bad guy in the Passion of the Christ. He's the one that stirs up the crowd to crucify Jesus. But, he does, but God does something through him in this very moment. He doesn't even realize it. He prophesies through Caiaphas, and he says this. Caiaphas says, you don't realize that it's better for you that one man should die for the people than for the whole nation to be destroyed. He's prophetically declaring why exactly Jesus is here, and he doesn't even know it. And as the high priest, no less, he's sitting in the seat of the high priest and he declares the truth of what God is doing. A, a wicked man who is against Jesus, God uses to prophesy. He did not say this on his own as a high priest at the time. He was led to prophesy that Jesus would die for the entire nation and not only for that nation, but to bring together and unite all the children of God scattered around the world. So from that time on, the Jewish leaders began to plot Jesus' death. This was just a few weeks before Jesus was crucified so that you could have total victory over death in the grave. The story of Lazarus is a picture of, of victory and it's a picture of what's to come. It's a trailer of what's to come in our future. But you don't have to wait for the resurrection of the dead at that final hour. You can have victory now. Are you tired of death getting the last word? Are you tired of just living in despair and anxiety and fear and depression all the time? Jesus has the last word now, and he loves you. He is your resurrection in your life. The question is, will you step from victimhood into victory? John 10 says, 10 says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I come that you may have life and have it abundantly. This whole weekend is, is summed up in this one little phrase right here. Jesus became the victim so that you could become the victor. Jesus became the victim so that you could become the victor. What other God has done that? What other God in all of human history has not only stepped off of his throne and come to rescue those that he created, but also became the victim for those that he created. It's the only religion, it's the only faith where our God has done that. That's how I know it's the real faith. It's because 
There is no other religion on the face of the earth that is, that is like this. God's demand you worship them. And if you don't, they just, they wipe you off the face of the earth. God says, no, you need to worship me because I am God, but I'm not going to let you sit in your death and your despair. I'm not gonna let the devil tread on you anymore. I'm coming so that you can have victory. The last part of your notes today is this. There's a line in your notes, in this blank, and it says, ain't no devil gonna tread on. And I want you to write your name or a name of somebody you know that's just been getting beat down by the world. Say, in the mighty name of Jesus, no longer will this person be a victim. When you walk out today, and when you walked in, you may have already grabbed some of these. There is a, there is a picture of St. George. It's the stick, sticker, how he's destroying the, the dragon. But on it, there's a lapel pin, and it's the Gadsden flag. It says, don't tread on me. In 1775, there was a man named Christopher Gadsden. He was a part of the revolution. He was from South Carolina. And he led a group of Marines, the first Marine brigade that we ever had, onto a few of the first ships of our Navy that we ever had. Outnumbered, outgunned, outmaneuvered, out everything. But the drums of some of the Marines that they were carrying, they would take drums in the battle. He had them painted yellow, and he put a rattlesnake because it was... It was, it was the only snake that was in the United States at the time. And, there's, and, it, and he had this phrase on it that said, don't tread on me. And they recognized something in the revolution. They said, you know, God is the God of liberty. And tyranny, whether it's in the physical or in the spiritual sense, is not of God. And we're tired of being tread on. We're tired of being beat down and victimized. God is calling us to victory. And this flag became a symbol of victory in the natural. And now we have the beauty of liberty in America because of guys like Christopher Gadsden who said, no, we're not gonna sit in, in victimhood any longer. And as you see this lapel pin, as you see this flag going forward, every time I want you to remember that God has set you free. He set you free from the bondage that sin had all over you. If you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your savior, I wanna give you a chance to do that right now.